rejoice. Paul has already talked in his letter about rejoicing in what has happened, in what has happened. But here's something new. Now he says, I will rejoice. He is sure that his future holds unmitigated joy for him. It's one thing to have happiness now, even in a desperate situation. But what about the future? Joy in love, in our success. Joy, well, just in the general flow of our lives. Wouldn't that be nice? (laughs) How about joy when we face death and what lies beyond? Do we know that the joy of the Lord will so fill us that happiness will flow right out of us. Well, yes, of course we do. You're here. Why? Why do we have that confidence? Why did Paul have that confidence? Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. What is this? Well, we talked about it a lot last week when we talked about Paul's excitement for the good news, even in the midst of the bad. Well, let's review the highlights. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known to all that my imprisonment is for Christ. And the brothers are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. This is the beginning of Paul's missionary report to the Philippian church that was so faithful in supporting him. He's telling them how the good news is spreading, even though he was incarcerated for preaching Christ, even because he was incarcerated for preaching Christ. Don't miss how tremendously this resonated with the Philippian church. One of their members, we talked well quite a few weeks ago, was previously the head jailer when Paul, for preaching Christ, was beaten and then imprisoned where he was placed in stocks and where he kept, in effect, preaching the good news. <laughs> Back to today's thought, yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Your prayers... The Spirit of Jesus. First, let's consider, what does he mean, the Spirit of Jesus? Of course, the point is, who he means? The very same Spirit who helped Jesus during his imprisonment and all his life. The Holy Spirit, one of the three persons of the Trinity. God is one as to nature and three as to persons. The Holy Spirit. But the word Paul uses for help? means to supply, or as he uses it in a letter to the Ephesian church, to equip the spirit that gives Paul what he needs to be delivered. But deliverance, wait, wait, deliver, what, what's going on there? Okay, for those of you who have gone through special forces training or something like it, the Greek word will fascinate you. It's soterion, from which we derive the word soteriology, the study of salvation. So what Paul said could be translated, it will turn out for my salvation. 
And that's a curious word for Paul to use when he seems to be talking about being delivered from jail. But I don't think that's all he's talking about. Some believe that he isn't talking about his physical, temporal circumstances at all. Rather, that he is only talking about his eventual, eternal salvation. And, of course, there are some who think that he is only talking about his release from jail. But I think this is a false dichotomy. He doesn't mean either or. I think it has a dual meaning. That Paul meant for the Philippians to think of both physical and spiritual deliverance. But I do think his primary goal was for them to realize their prayers and the help of the Spirit moved him towards his eternal salvation in Christ Jesus. Which brings us to another question. Does the Spirit's help come in response to the believer's prayer? It's an important question for us. As we seek to do God's will, especially with the well, tremendous things we're trying to do for this church. Do our prayers cause the Spirit to help us? Well, let's say it the other way around. Do we tie God's hands if we don't pray for what he wants accomplished? Got to be frank, that sounds kind of dumb. <laughs> he made the entire universe. How could our tiny little prayers make any great difference? But then again... Paul clearly says that their prayers will make a difference. And ours will too. He said the same kind of thing to the Corinthian church. You also must help us by prayer. So that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. So how does this work? I don't know. <laughs> Neither does anybody else. But I do know this. There's some sort of beautiful harmony with God's will and ours, his work and ours, that causes us to pray in a way that melds with his will. Can't get any closer than that for you, sorry. But as we draw ever closer to him, and we call that the process of sanctification, our prayers are ever more effective because they are ever more closely aligned with his will. One of these days I've got to do a series on prayer. I keep saying that. For the moment, make sure you read that section in Becoming God's Family. If you don't have a copy, let me know. And after that commercial break, back to our study of Philippians. Uh, <laughs> Through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed. Uh, we got to stop again. Expectation and hope, not be ashamed. These are the ways that Paul talks about our eternal life. In fact, this whole creation's eventual recreation for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. This personification of nature is meant to make us realize that even in this fallen creation, there is hope, eager longing. And as for believers, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Our hope is not yet realized. But we wait for it patiently. Maybe a little impatiently. <clears throat> 
We'll just call that impatience eager longing, and that'll make it all okay, right? (laughs) Waiting with patience. But Paul knows also that he will not be at all ashamed. Now, we're not talking about embarrassment here. In that society, honor was the ultimate achievement and being shamed the ultimate defeat. Listen to what Paul wrote earlier. As it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. To be put to shame is to be subjected to objective disgrace, people actively trying to disgrace you, which is what happens to the apostate, the unbelieving at the end of time. So prevalent was this understanding of honor and dishonor that John, who writes so very differently from Paul, nevertheless sounds much like him. And now little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. We will have confidence when Jesus returns. Or, as Paul said, an eager expectation and hope. We will not suffer shame, but rather be honored by our God and Savior at his coming. Now that should definitely give you a boost. Like maybe you're walking six inches off the ground kind of boost. God will praise you. You should be a little excited here, you know. Give me an amen kind of excited. Let's go. (laughs) Well, back to the study. Paul says, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Courage, we talked about that last week. Honor, as opposed to put to shame. But who will be honored? Ah, Christ will be honored. Remember that, it'll come up again. In his, Paul's body, that is, in his life, but also whether living or dying. Now, the living part, Paul could demonstrate that well. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes last one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers. Danger from robbers. Danger from my own people. Danger from Gentiles. Danger in the city. Danger in the wilderness. Danger at sea. Danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship. Through many a sleepless night. In hunger and thirst. Often without food. In cold and exposure and And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for the churches. Wow, don't you wish God had called you to be an apostle of Jesus Christ? (laughs) Yeah, maybe not. (laughs) But maybe so. I mean, wouldn't it be great to be that committed to the cause of Christ? We can't be apostles. I think I'm saying thank you. (laughs) But we can be and are disciples of Jesus. Maybe we can do something great for him. That's a plan anyway. (laughs) By the way, it is fascinating that Paul balanced all the bad that happened to him, including the 39 lashes, all those other things against his concern for the churches, like his concern for the churches was about the same weight on his shoulders as all that happened to him. (laughs) That's pretty amazing. (laughs) And all that bad that happened to him 
isn't all that he suffered for Christ in this world. Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? No wife? And remember, Paul's adamant. There's no interaction of a uh, physical nature outside of marriage for a believer. None. No chance for any physical union for the rest of his life. And he will rejoice. You with me, guys? Remember what Job said? (laughs) Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Hmm. And Paul wrote that it's not just the hope that causes him to rejoice. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Rejoice, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. If we honor Christ in this life, He will honor us, not just here, but also in the next. Jesus said, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. The reality is that Jesus is God in human form. The very nature of existence is such that creatures must honor their creator if they are to have joy. That's clear. And then there's some surprising good news. The creator of the entire universe honors us in return. (laughs) That's amazing. And no wonder, Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul's suffering certainly acknowledged Christ. I mean, wouldn't you agree? So is life itself Christ to us? What would we give up in this life to honor Christ Jesus? There was a superstar, absolute superstar, who appeared just before Jesus, John the Baptist. He had disciples too, and they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he's baptizing and all are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. John was a special person with a unique mission. Only one in history. Jesus said he had no equal born among women. He was very special. Absolutely one of a kind person. But his great example, his willingness to let go of his superstar status so that everyone would focus on Jesus. Is that a part of our DNA? And that's 
not even Paul's main point here, by the way. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. For that is far better. I love you, but I'd rather be with Christ. Sorry. He's saying I can do more or I can live more by dying and being with Christ. It's a weird truth. In salvation, in joy, the advantage goes to death. Okay, just to let you know. Because in death, all we lose is the bad stuff. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We, we are more than conquerors because of the powerful love of God in Christ Jesus that will allow us to tear through the air at mock speeds on that day when he returns. <laughs> flying into an eternal life where we are honored by the one to whom we have given honor. What a glorious thing eternal life will be. Who could not want this? But we are still in this world, in these bodies, in this life, as was Paul. He would love to be with Jesus, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. I love you, but I'd rather be with Jesus. But I know you need me. So I'll be here for you. Paul and all those to whom he wrote are now with Jesus. <laughs> now they live life indeed, the ultimate joy, the ultimate reality. But at the time he wrote the letter, their progress and joy in the faith were dependent on Paul's being in this world for a while longer. We have a purpose. Not one of us is here today for nothing. If we truly understand the glories of eternity, we would deeply long to be there. We would look forward to death, not because of death, because of what lies beyond can I ask you to take a little trip with me today? All in your imagination. Ready? You're a bird. A bird made to fly the winds of the world. But you're trapped. You're trapped in a cave. Born, in fact, in that cave. Oh, you can still fly around. But only by the dim light that shines through the enormous cataract that completely obstructs the outlet of the cave. Kind of fun flying around in here. Best thing you ever known. And then someone says, you don't have to be stuck in this cave. You can fly the winds of heaven, but you have to fly through that water, which will stop you from flying. What? You say, oh, it'll only be for a moment. Yes, tons of water will smash into you, driving you to the abyss. But then you will break through and you will soar to great heights 
over all the world. You believe it. You know it. You've had glimpses through that watery curtain. You're going for it. But then a little tug on your sleeve. A tiny voice says, we've only just begun to fly. We don't know how to get through the curtain. Will you help us to learn to fly before you go? You want to soar with the one who created you to fly, with the one who made the great skies that will be your playground, but the one also who made them wants to save them. And you remember the words you've already said. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, advance the good news. And so you know, you can't leave them quite yet. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. They would have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because Paul did not fly through death just yet because he did the work God intended for him to do and they could glory in Christ Jesus when they next saw Paul because they knew that he, because of his love for them, which was his love for God, stayed and taught them to fly. I love you, but I wish I was flying with Jesus. <laughs> Having made it through the curtain, we all look forward to that day when we will fly with him. And it isn't simple skies, but glories, holy places where we will soar. But confident as we may be to enter the new life, that curtain through which we must pass isn't just water. And there's no way any mere human can make it through. So how can we make it? Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he has opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We could not fly through death on our own. We would end up in the abyss, <laughs> never to escape. Jesus came and made a way through death by dying for us. and He alone was strong enough to make a way a way that made us actually worthy of flying in those holy places, not because of anything in us, but because of who he is. Paul was, for all his abilities, which were incredible, and his appointment as an apostle, just a servant of Christ Jesus. It is Jesus who made a way through the curtain, that is death, with a way to life. By his blood, by his living and dying for us. We do love him. <laughs> 
and we would love to be with him. But it is necessary for us to be here and to give others ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus. If we truly love them as we love him, our job as a church, as individuals, isn't done yet. You're breathing. you still got a job. We are to bring people to Christ, to help them grow in Christ. Exactly how? Sometimes a mystery, granted. But then we know we will soar, soar with Jesus. One day we will say, I love you, <laughs> but I'm flying away with Jesus. But now... Now we can say, I love you. And because of that, I'll stay here a bit longer. I'll teach you how to fly. We still have a job to do. Father, you've placed in each of us, each of us have people in our lives that you've put us here for. We're here for a reason. And there's some people for us to love by expressing you to them. Exactly how? I'm not sure how that works. (laughs) And it's different for every situation. But Lord, give us the courage Paul talked about. Certainly give us the hope. Help us to know how to talk to people and let them know they can fly too. I don't have to worry about death. Yeah, you got to get through it. But then you go through And there is something on the other side so vastly superior to what we have here, much greater than the difference between a cave and the real skies. Something huge that you can, that you will give to us and that we can tell people about. Help us, Lord, to figure out how to express our eager expectation for that day to them. Help us to let people see you through us however that works thank you father in jesus name we pray amen we hope you've enjoyed this message first heard at living hope church of westport please feel free to worship with us maybe this next sunday you can also join us online at southbeachhope.org We'd appreciate your financial support if that is possible. We are a tiny church in a small town, but at least, with the help of Sermon.net, we can share the good news with you and everyone around the world. Hopefully, we'll someday be able to worship God together in person, if not in Westport, at least in the rapture.